Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that is begging David Fincher to please, please do something with Mindhunter. Here is the cat. At least give me season number three. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. In the old garage fridge, we still have some Kolsch. Some Castelline Kolsch. This West German style ale is light with a hint of lemon. Very refreshing and a three and three quarters on the old bottle cap garage grade scale. Let's give some thanks and praise to our friends that helped us out with this week's shows. First up, a big cheers to Kristen Dewey from Toledo, Ohio. And a big We Love Ohio shout out goes to Joy from Bryan, Ohio. Nice jib. And last but certainly not least... We have Chris Witten in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Everybody we just mentioned, they went to truecrimegarage.com and contributed to this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run. Make sure you go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the store page. All of our old items, they're on sale. Plus, we have two brand new hat designs, and they're going quick. So make sure you get one before they're gone. And Colonel, that's enough of the business. A tip of the old True Crime Garage hat to you all. Gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Detective Jeff Felton worked this case from day one, from minute one. We talked about him a couple of times on episode one. He said many times that he brought this case home with him, staring at the case file all night long, looking at it from all sort of different angles. He and his colleagues conducted canvases, interviews, and even publicity campaigns for this unsolved murder case. Now, early on, Maggie, Brittany's mother, expressed great satisfaction with this investigation. She even posted on her blog, quote, I am lucky. Our detectives followed the typical profile. Someone she knew, old boyfriends, all males who had contact, public service, or might have had her address, end quote. Of course, they had to look at classmates like you talked about in part one, Captain, co-workers, former co-workers, men who lived in the apartment complex, and so on. So this is not an easy task. This is not something that you're going to be able to do in over the course of a day or a week. This is a huge task. By about a year out, about a year after the murder, Maggie says that police had executed numerous search warrants and interviewed a lot of people for this case. Eventually, Detective Felton became very frustrated with the case, mainly because all of this work, all of this investigation failed to flush out a suspect. Right. The investigators started to believe that maybe the killer was someone that Brittany didn't know. And that was why it was so hard to connect perpetrator to victim. When the murderer doesn't know the victim, it almost makes the case so much more complicated. Yes, you see it. Once or twice a week, it feels like these days in the news where there's some 30, 40, 25-year-old cold case homicide 
that they say, oh, we solved it based off of DNA. The guy wasn't even in the file or we, we still don't know exactly how this man knew her. Yeah. And we're not kidding ourselves. Sometimes these investigations are just not thorough and sometimes they just don't work the case as hard as they should. I would say the majority of these cases, they're worked hard. They do their due diligence, but because the victim didn't know their murderer, it becomes like a very complicated riddle. And so, like you said, some of these individuals, their names were never in the file. When you have a situation where you start to think or have reason to believe that maybe the victim did not know the attacker, then you go, okay, we probably should be putting together a profile of the killer. That's exactly what Tulsa PD did in this case, and they released a portion of that profile of the killer to the public. It's it's pretty generic, but stay with me here, everybody. So their profile reads as follows. Someone who was a night owl. Okay, that makes some sense here because it's definitely a possibility when the police are working under the idea that this attack took place between 10 p.m. on the 27th and their statement is sometime in the early morning hours of the 28th. Right. So this is a third shift attacker, if you will. Also, possibly someone who traveled Interstate 35, Interstate 44, or I-40 roadways around Tulsa often. Now, this I'm wondering if this has to do with the proximity of the apartment complex to those interstates. They did say it could be somebody with anger issues and possibly sexual problems or irregularities. Someone who possibly worked as a public service provider, such as a cable installer, gas company employee, phone company worker, and so on. And we talked about that with, uh, to me here, Captain, when it, when I see an investigation like this, where the mm-hmm. social circle doesn't seem to flush out a, a suspect or point to anybody, we've covered these kind of cases before. I feel like this is somebody that has some kind of ties to this apartment complex. It's, it could be a resident, could be a vendor or worst case scenario for your investigation. It might just be some complete stranger who knows you know what? I, the type of victim I'm looking for is a young woman. They got a lot of those young women, young single women living alone in that big apartment complex over there. Yeah. And then it makes you wonder, and this might be a leap, but you got a lot of students that go to that community college that live there. Somebody that works at the college hears, hey, well, you know, a lot of the students live in this apartment complex. Again, well, I know what type of victim I'm looking for. Go there. KJRH News reported that Tulsa PD homicide detective Vic Regalado, he was one of the individuals working on Brittany's case as well. He seemed to firmly believe that Brittany's killer was some type of stalker. So his words from the good detective says, quote, whoever murdered her that night more than likely had seen her before and knew that she lived in that apartment. End quote. Now, I know it sounds like I'm talking on both sides of my face here with this investigation, but mm-hmm. he's not necessarily saying that Brittany knew her attacker. He's simply saying that 
if it were to be a stalker, it is his belief from what he's seen in the investigation that the person that murdered her that night had seen her before and knew that she lived in that apartment. That doesn't, he may not have even known her name, but saw her and decided, you know what? That's I'm the hunter. That's my prey. And I, and I might watch her for a little bit to get, to get a little Intel about her, her lifestyle, her comings and goings, her routines. Yeah. And he's not saying that this individual stalked her for a long period of time or even made contact with her. I think the term stalker maybe confuses people a little bit, but I think like you said, you, you have a guy installing cable next door and sees her and then just keeps an eye out on her or follows her home one night. Well, and when you have a potential stranger on stranger crime like this homicide with a sexual assault, not only do you do a profile of the killer, but you do the old pervert roundup. And so we can see here in our examination of this investigation that they did their due diligence. Uh, The detective came up with 276 suspects who either lived in the apartment complex or near this apartment complex. These were sex offenders. And you know what that is, right? That's a lot of perverts. Mm -hmm. The old pervert roundup. At one time it was just... (laughs) It was just the pervert roundup, and then it had happened for so many years and times that it's now it's now old, old pervert. It's yeah. old hat. I think I think in episode twelve we said pervert roundup, and ever since then it's been the old. Yeah, maybe you can answer this question for me because I wasn't clear in my research. It seems like the the Tulsa Police Department they're the ones that did the profile. Is there any indication that they reach out to the FBI in this case? So the Tulsa Police Department, they released the profile. My guess would be that, yes, that a local, they probably sent somebody from the local branch to review the case file, review what their findings were, the evidence and such. And a lot of times what you will see is, I love when people call in another agency to get other eyes. Two heads are better than one, especially in homicide investigations. And a lot of times, you know, we paint this picture like the FBI is so much smarter than the local detectives. A lot of times what I've found in these cases, Captain, is the FBI is confirming what the suspicions of the detectives already had. You know, they're they're back. They're yeah. finding a lot of the same things here. Now, back to the sex offenders, there's varying degrees of the sex offenders. They're not going to mm-hmm. all be violent individuals and to clear that up we have the detective's words who says quote i'm talking thefts of women's underwear i'm talking peeping toms i'm talking rapes so within that 260 276 people there's varying degrees of 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 what kind of gross crimes these these guys have been a part of. well i think this is a true statement when it's a sexually motivated crime those individuals seem to escalate over time. Yeah. A lot of times they will start off as a peeping Tom or, and then graduate to breaking into the home or apartment Mm -hmm. and stealing something of the, the woman's. And, and as you said, sometimes they don't escalate and other times they do. Here's, this is so smart here. So, 
continuing on here, all the men that we just talked about, the 276 were investigated. They police talked to all of them. The detective, Jeff Felton, he engineered the creation of a searchable database just for this case, right? So this is so police can track the leads, the tips, persons of interest, and DNA rule-outs. We're going to have them approaching people, and we'll get into DNA here in a minute with this case, but here's the thing that I wanted to underline that was so smart by these detectives. Mm -hmm. Remember a couple years back when we talked to uh, an FBI agent who specialized in sexual assaults and, and sexually motivated murders. He said that a lot of times rapists get picked up on burglary charges because they're, they're unsuccessful in the rape. They get, they get the police are called or homeowner puts up a fight or pulls a gun on them and they just simply get arrested for being in the home. They broke right. into the home, snuck into the home. That's what they get caught for. But because they didn't sexually assault anybody or get to even the portion of the crime where the crimes where they're attempting to do so, they get labeled as a burglar. Mm-hmm. Well, these detectives are saying we we went through reports regularly looking not just for rapists and sex offenders, at looking for burglars who were arrested in the area in the middle, they, they're in the home or residence at odd hours, the middle okay, of the night. So question. So you said there was 270 some during the pervert roundup. Is that including possibly these break in, uh, these robbers or is the no, robbers from, on top of the pervert roundup? This, these are additions to the list. So from my understanding, the 276 is simply you punch in, proximity to this apartment and figure out how many sex offenders live in a certain mile radius from there. That's your 276. Now and think then, about that for a second, 276 plus, I don't know how many more people they added to that, but look, I'm quick to call out when somebody's a piece of shit. I'm quick to call somebody a douche canoe. You got to tip your hat though, to these investigators. One, you did the pervert roundup. And then, like you said, we know that it's a crime that escalates. So the people that possibly broke into houses, maybe they were there to do something more nefarious. So we're going to look at them too. But to question all those individuals, to track down all those individuals, that's a task. So my hat's off to them. And if anybody's out there going, whoa, that's an alarming number of sex offenders in that area. We, we need to be clear here. We do not know how large of a scale they were looking at. Their words, mm-hmm. detectives' words were that lived in that apartment complex or near that apartment complex. Near to the detectives could mean a quarter of a mile or it could mean within 10 miles or yeah. 15. We, miles. we don't really know exactly how far they fanned out uh, in their search. Now, one thing police did have on their side, Captain, was DNA. It's 2004 when this case goes down. The DNA analysis was readily available at that time, obviously. The yeah, investigators you can thank OJ for that. They're going to decide that DNA was going to be their best evidence, and yes. they wanted to use it for elimination purposes. And we already touched on that a little bit by informing everyone that they had a 
that one of the criteria on their database was DNA rule-outs. Okay, so this person is on our list for reasons A, B, and C. Were they cleared by DNA? Yeah, yay or nay? And so really what this is going to amount to is, remember they found that semen stain on Brittany's bedding and the blood droplet on the wall the two samples are consistent, meaning they came from the same person. So this DNA, male DNA profile, is entered into CODIS, but they find no matches. They get no matches. So mm-hmm. this means now, basically, we're going to do a DNA dragnet. We're just going to start asking everybody that that's name is in the case file or on this database to submit their DNA, which reportedly... There were only a a few people that declined, which will immediately raise red flags. But it it sounds like they took the DNA of many, many individuals. There was another angle that they were going to be working here as well, Captain. This, This comes about in August of 2005. They put together a $5,000 reward. With this reward fund for information, whether any tips came in, only the police know. That's not information that they've released to us or to the public. In 2007, we get Tulsa PD. They decide a new angle on this investigation, right? They're going to hit us with some new information, asking the public for help. Detective Felton, at this time, is still leading the investigation. So he goes public with photos of a pillowcase that was found in Brittany's apartment. The detective is saying we believe that it's a possibility that this pillowcase belonged to the killer, that they brought it with them to the scene for one reason or another. Now, to be clear, they suspected this because it did not match any of her other linens or bedding, but she's also 18 years old. We've, you know, everybody can remember their first apartment. A lot of times you're just getting things and items from wherever you can. A lot of hand-me-downs. So there's nothing about this pillowcase that is specific enough to tell us that it's a direct specific connection to the attacker or killer other than it's just simply a pillowcase of unknown origins, right? The key here, Captain, is the detective in charge thinks that this could be a potential lead. And he tells the media, look, sometimes burglars... Maybe we have somebody that was attempting to break into cars or apartments and steal things Mm -hmm. and may not have gone out that night with the intention of sexually assaulting and killing someone, but maybe they brought this with them because as we know, burglars will, sometimes they use things like a pillowcase to grab items and, and carry them with them when they're fleeing from a scene. Yeah. And like we know, she got home a little later. Did they go out when it was dark? They're, hey, what better place to break in? What better place to go look into break into cars than an apartment complex? Because there's a bunch of cars and and they're all in one location. And so he's out and about looking to commit a crime like that and sees Brittany come home and goes, well, now, now my motivation has changed. Well, and there was no label or brand name for this this pillowcase, but it was unique. Does that mean that the, the individual cut out the label? Well, I don't know why there was no label right. or 
brand name. I'm I'm assuming that there would have been a label at one time. Did it yeah. did it fall fall off or was it purposely removed? I can't say. But what I can say is that the detective believed that the pillowcase was unique enough that maybe somebody would recognize it and be able to identify where it came from or or who it may have belonged to. Unfortunately, that was 2007. And as we know, all these years later, pillowcase idea, good idea, but it, it failed to bring forth any information. But, but this is like what you were saying about, Hey, we did the pervert roundup. Okay. That, that happens in most cases. Okay. We're going to go a step further. Let's, let's look into individuals that were caught breaking into to a house. And then this pillowcase idea, these are, they're not just sitting around hoping that leads come to them. They're working every angle that they can think of. Mm-hmm. It, it shows the level of one in intelligence, um, you know, sophistication and their, their due diligence. You know, <laughs> I know we use that word a lot, but you know, they're looking at this case and every angle. And here too is a bit of a concern for the family. And I would think for detectives as well. And this is something that Brittany's mother, Maggie learned. So she learns, and I don't have specific details, but her words are, I was horrified that years after my daughter's murder, I found out that several sketchy incidents occurred at the Glen Eagles apartment complex. And she references a specific time. She says, whatever these incidents were, went down about eight months before her daughter, Brittany moved in. And no one told her or Brittany about these situations. And then to expand on that and go a little further out, she's saying also after my daughter was murder murdered, I learned that, they weren't telling any of the new people moving in, the new tenants moving in, that a murder, an unsolved murder had taken place in this apartment complex. Well, that's not just a need-to-know situation for people moving in for their own safety. It's also a need-to-know for if you see something, say something. You know, if you hear, if you get told something or, or you hear a rumor or there's some guy lurking in the parking lot night after night. It could have prevented new information to reaching police or getting reported. Sometimes people don't know how serious something can be because they are unaware that something serious, really serious happened in that same location. Right. Um, But shout out to Maggie. She doesn't give up. This, this woman is a fighter, very smart, very brave and leading the charge. As you will see, to get justice for her daughter, a a young woman who she described as her best friend. She ends up putting up some billboards, advertising and asking for information in her daughter's case. And she did this with the help of a company called Lamar Outdoor Advertising, which oddly enough, Captain, we, we were lucky enough to put up a billboard in Ohio and That is the company, same company that we used. I don't know how many billboard companies there are, but shout out to Lamar company because it's my understanding that they helped her as far as a lot of the financials go with 
with putting up these billboards. In this same year, Maggie decides to take things up a notch, all right? Crank it up to 11. So in 2007, this is after the third anniversary of the murder, Maggie launched her caravan to catch a killer, a national campaign to generate tips on her daughter's case and to help save other people's daughters. So she got a RAV4 SUV custom wrapped in multiple large scale photos of Brittany and information about the unsolved murder and tip line phone number all wrapped around this SUV in bright pink and purple colors, which she says were her daughter's favorite colors and also deliberately eye catching. And her goal was like, look, this case has been in the media at the local level. I put up these billboards with the help of the good people at Lamar. We're still not getting anywhere. My daughter's case has not gone national. I'm going to put it all over this RAV4 and I'm going to drive this vehicle to different states through different cities and see if anybody sees something somewhere. Because who knows if, if you have somebody that was just working in the area. Maybe, maybe they're not there permanently. They just happen to be working in the area for a week, several months or what have you. They may, other than that, may have little ties to the city of Tulsa. So during the, what is, what's coming up to 20 years since the murder. Yeah. Her mother has traveled the country. She, she says that she's put as much as 300,000 miles that she's traveled. And during that time, of course, talking to people about, about Brittany. So she's driving all over the country. And that's one of the ways that we became aware of this still unsolved homicide was last year. One of the trips that the caravan made from Oklahoma was to Orlando, Florida to last year's crime con where Maggie put all of the case information that she could on brochures and pass them out to the true crime podcasters at CrimeCon last year. Let's jump back to the fifth anniversary here, Captain, because this was a, a significant report. This again from KJRH News that we referenced earlier. This is 2009 now, and it reads, it's been five years since Tulsa College student Brittany Phillips was brutally murdered inside her apartment, and still the case remains unsolved. In the past five years, DNA from the crime scene has been checked against thousands of potential suspects, but there have been no matches. Investigators now suspect Brittany may not have known her attacker. Police labeled the murder a sex crime, suspecting that some unknown man targeted her, raped her, and murdered her. Maggie, Brittany's mother, told Tulsa World, that she never expected her daughter's case to remain unsolved at the five-year mark. However, she still had faith in the efforts put in by the Tulsa Police Department. She said, quote, they have turned over every stone. They have done everything they could do to keep it from becoming a cold case. And that is what scares me. I'm starting to realize we may never solve this case, end quote. So as we just heard, the investigators, they're testing the crime scene DNA against ultimately thousands 
of potential suspects, according to that report. Most of these were just men who lived or worked in the area, but several were men who were very promising suspects. Two of these were brothers who lived nearby and had been interested in her. And now it's unclear what that means, but that's the information we have. Then there was a guy whom Brittany had blocked from her phone and email. This was a security guard in her apartment complex whom Brittany had gone on a single date with. I, I'm taking, I'm sorting it out here, Captain, that this date may not have gone very well because ultimately she ends up blocking him from her phone and from email. He was one of the individuals that refused to give a DNA sample, by the way. Now, police obtained a search warrant to collect a buckle swab. So if, if you're not going to give it to us willingly, if we got enough on you, we might be able to get a judge to sign off on a, a document stating that you are required by law to give us your DNA. And they get this DNA and they roll him out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile 
for details. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates, onward and upwards. Cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to you, Captain. Now, when we started off episode one, Mm -hmm. I had made the statement that this is a bit of a messy case. And I said, I think that most will agree with me when we get into some of the details. Here's to me where the details start making this what I would refer to as a messy case. So, They're getting all this DNA, ruling people out, getting search warrants to mandate that somebody has to give their DNA. But one thing is, of course, the public's going to assume you have a rape murder case where the DNA came from, but they never publicly addressed exactly what the source was of the suspect DNA that they are using for comparison, right? We know that it came from some bedding. Well, not just bedding, but also the the blood evidence. Exactly, exactly. We know it came from the bedding and from the blood on the wall, but this this is going to become very important as as we continue on here. So, this is where I want to highlight Brittany's mother Maggie here a little bit and the good work that she's not only done for her daughter and attempts to get justice for her daughter, but this she's thinking on the large scale here. She's, she's attempting to solve other cases too, or help police to solve other cases as well for other people's people's daughters. So around the same time, Maggie's very vocal about her concerns that the killer had likely killed before or since and had slipped through the cracks of the justice system somehow. Yeah. So she's what we're looking at is a serial killer. She starts pushing for legislation to allow Oklahoma police to obtain DNA upon felony arrest. So at the time, you know, we we know that this is something that is going on and happening pretty regularly in, in certain states and in certain jurisdictions, but not every state. And back then it was not happening in Oklahoma. So she is at the front of the line pushing for this legislation. Well, we see that not all the times, but again, she became a 
activist for her daughter and then in turn became an activist for every victim. Exactly. That, that's exactly right. Now, it does take, it did take a good amount of time. Unfortunately, the law did eventually pass in 2016 after Maggie was working this for so many years. And now she's pushing and helping others to make sure that this legislation will become a similar law in other states. She, she says it should be something that we should be doing in all 50 states. Yeah, I agree, because because people move. And look, criminals find out, oh, well, heck, man, if I get caught breaking into one of these places and I get arrested on a felony, then they get my DNA, boom, now I'm connected to these other rapes, possibly other murders. If I move to a state that doesn't do that, because like we said, good chances are she didn't know the individual that killed her. So if, if I'm, you know, a murderer and I'm committing other crimes, I'm going, well, let me go to a state where they can't collect my DNA. Now we're going to start talking about forensic genealogy. Okay. So we have, as you said, the DNA samples, according to law enforcement in this case, a comparison of 3000 is the number that they have stated to the public. Okay. So 3000, that's, that's a crazy amount of people, but this, as you said, captain, this is, this is everyone they could think of. Even people she went to high school with people yeah, that she and went then to co college with in Florida. And then the pervert roundup, as you said. So they said that they obtained DNA samples from upwards of 2000 men in a square mile of Brittany's apartment, 250 from what he called viable suspects that I'm guessing that's the su sex offender list. Mm -hmm. The, um, and at the end of the day, they're saying that the number rose to about 3000 men that they tested this DNA against. And due to all these efforts, they're confused and completely mind blown that this did not lead them to the killer, that the killer had never been caught using this DNA dragnet that they were doing. So in 2018, the Tulsa PD cold case detective, his name is Eddie majors. He took the same physical evidence in the case that they had been using the semen stain on the sheets and the blood on the wall and used it to create SNP DNA profile of the suspected killer. You've heard us talk about this before. If you're a longtime listener, sometimes it's referred to as snapshot DNA. This is when they're going to, they take Parabon Nano Labs is really great at doing this. It's, it's what they call a phenotype. So they create a phenotype image of the suspect based. It's a computer generated image based on what his genetic makeup indicated the killer would look like. So this includes things like skin color, hair and eye color, face shape, freckling, and so on. Now, it cannot determine age, obviously, facial hair, weight, or other variables, but we've seen this in the Hammer Slayer case from Aurora. We've seen this in, in, in many cases. They do this phenotyping for Brittany's case, they get the snapshot DNA image and the images of a blonde young man with green or blue eyes and a pointy chin. 
also a little background here saying that the suspect, the killer, was primarily of Northern European ancestry. Maggie wrapped her car again, this time in the image of that suspect. And many tips were getting called in now, naming the person, saying, oh, I know who, who somebody that looks just like that. I know somebody that kind of fits the profile and looks a lot like that image that you have here. Well, see, that seems again like, and I, I feel like I sound like a broken record, but here's law enforcement and a case doing every angle that they can. And then because of their work and because of going the extra mile, now we have new leads. Hey, go look into this individual. So did anything come up of them looking into these leads? Yes. And actually they, as said, people were naming this person and what this ultimately leads them to is an individual. They ask him for DNA. He agrees to DNA. They get a buckle swab and they find out it's a match. His DNA matched the DNA that they had been looking for all this time. So this is a, He's referred to as a green county man. And for reasons that will soon be clear to everyone, he's not named. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's determined that he was the boyfriend of Brittany's best friend at the time of her murder. The friend, Brittany's friend and her boyfriend lived in Collinsville and not in Tulsa. They came over for a, a visit they stayed over, and during that time, Brittany allowed them to stay in her bedroom, sleep in her bedroom. I'll take the couch. You guys are the guests. Sleep in the bedroom. This, After interviewing this young man, they figure out that he and his girlfriend, they had sex in that bed while they stayed there. Mm -hmm. And he says, that's how the semen was on the sheets. I don't have any clue how there would be a small drop of my blood on a wall. He did reference that, that he thought maybe he had had a bloody nose. Keep in mind, he's being interviewed and asked about this 14 years after the murder. And I'm sure that law enforcement, because like we said, this detective unit, is they're not ones to just stop, stop their investigation. So I'm sure that once they talk to him, they end up talking to his one-time girlfriend to confirm some of what he was saying. Yeah, and I don't know this this status of their relationship. They could still be together for all we know, right. but because the man is not named. But here's here's where my mind goes to. We spent so much time, and I believe rightfully so, on all the efforts of the detectives and how thorough of an investigation they were doing. Meanwhile, we find out 14 years later, the DNA they were looking for the whole time matches Brittany's best friend's boyfriend. That This guy is two degrees from the, from the murder victim. Right. And so then it, that makes me question the thoroughness of the investigation. Look, people do slip through the, crack, the cracks. Um, yeah, but if you're a detective, you're getting this information from the, the medical examiners, right? And, and so because there's a misstep at basically step one, then everything that you look into 
I mean, could you imagine the frustration? We rounded up all these people and, and we're eliminating these people. And, and did they test the right guy? And, and for whatever reason, he was scared and gave him their DNA. He, the guy was scared, gave his DNA. And when it comes back, oh, you don't match. He was going, oh, thank God. And, and then he's probably wondering, well, how come I didn't match? Well, because they didn't get the right sample. And again, this, this goes back to the rape kit. Exactly. Why wasn't there a rape kit done? Because again, like you said, every angle, because, you know, and I'm not trying to throw shade, you know, at Brittany or anything else, but you have a, a single female. Let's just, I'll, I'll just put myself in the, the situation. If I was single and I was dating multiple people or talking to different people, there's a possibility that you would find, you know, evidence of multiple individuals being in my bed. Does that make sense? So it doesn't even have yes. to be that she, she let, she shared her, her bed and that's how they found this, this evidence. You know, it could have been somebody else that she was seeing. And then let's just say it was, you know, remember how she was talking to her old high school boyfriend? What if they became intimate and then the detectives tested that sample and went, well, it matches this guy that she's been seeing. And then they could put a case together against him and boom, this guy's locked away for the rest of his life because they didn't collect the correct sample. Exactly. You're exactly right. The short of it is the DNA evidence that they were using this entire time to lead them to the suspect to find the guy, the killer, was wrong. And so it led them to the wrong man. And it also begs the question, why on earth did Tulsa PD prioritize the semen sample on the bedding rather than a rape kit? taken from Brittany's body at autopsy. It doesn't make any damn sense. Well, and then think about this, Captain. Th this is the nightmare of the situation. This new DNA profile, they, they come up with a new DNA profile, and we'll get into that here in a minute, but this the old one, uh -huh. when you're using that one and it's the wrong one, mm -hmm. and you've tested up to 3,000 people per their words, there's a chance you may have tested the real killer and he didn't match. Well, that's what I said. Yeah. And then, and, but could you imagine also just because of people not doing their job correctly, then the, the, the mother of the victim of the raped murdered victim is driving around with this image on her car, thinking that this is the image of the killer. And then once they once they get a match, it's a, a story that's pretty, you know, easy to eliminate him. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you do again? I mean, this is just ridiculous. I mean, and I hate to like because this sounds disgusting, but it's like, what if you found multiple, you know, well, samples of semen around the room? It's like, okay, well, those don't matter. The, what matters is that we know that she was strangled. Is there DNA on her body? Is there touch DNA? Is there, again, 
Why wasn't there a rape kit done? Well, hang, hang on a second. Now, we, we can sit here and be as enraged as we want to be and invent as long as we want, but they answer that. So in 2022, they're going to address that issue. And what they're saying is the reason why we prioritized the semen sample found on the bedding was that the they were unable to obtain a sufficient amount of DNA from the genital swabs taken from the body at autopsy. Right. And so technology obviously is getting better as this case is getting colder. And now they are able to prioritize DNA that they that they weren't looking at back in 2004 and 2005. Unfortunately, they right. went down all these wrong roads, 3,000 of them, mind you, uh, in the meantime. And once technology had caught up to where they could use other samples, who knows how long it sat unknown that they should be using the other DNA. Right, right. Yeah, so, yeah, to be fair to them, yeah. Now what we do know is they are using other DNA that they that that is of the killers. It does not match. It doesn't match the individual that we just discussed at length. Right. Um, so he is not the killer. Um, the, the, the other thing too, but what, what tipped them off was not just the story. You know, they're detectives. They're not just going to believe, oh, you were there and had sex with your girlfriend. That's convenient. Right. No, th they put together and in the timeline, they said that he, he physically could not have been in that location. Remember they lived out of town. And he had, there were multiple um, persons backing up an alibi for that individual. And so you, st you start to look at this and you can't have two things that are both factual that are, are giving you different results, right? You can't have DNA that puts him at the scene as the killer, but also a million reasons why he physically could not have been there in the time that she was killed. Right. And, and to also uh, defend I know now I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but also to defend law enforcement, they found semen and they found a drop of blood. Mm -hmm. So what's the chances of that happening? You know, well, so. and we are allowed to talk out of both sides of our face. That's why we typically do two episodes. <laughs> do you want to hear one of the strangest things? This is one of the stranger things that we've come across in any case. So we'll get back to the DNA here in a minute. Last year, there is this strange new evidence that comes about all of a sudden in this case. And mm -hmm. it comes from a, what, what's my favorite thing in, in these cold cases? <laughs> what is it? Uh, a letter. This comes from a letter. Oh, no, I thought you were going to do <laughs> transfer evidence. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. That's my yeah, other favorite thing. Transfer favorite. evidence. Yeah, Transfer a letter. Theory. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, letter is your number one favorite. Yeah. Any case with a letter will cover. Remember, the kids grew up in Florida. Remember, mm -hmm. mom and dad were married in Florida. They move around a little bit, and mom and dad separate. Mm -hmm. Brittany was not particularly close with her father. It sounds like he was estranged from the family. It sounds like Brittany made efforts to keep a relationship with her father. She had sent a birthday card. The father received it and never really did anything with this. So to be clear, it's actually a, a it was a birthday card to her grandfather. She mailed right. it to her dad for him to give to his dad. 
Right. Makes sense. I believe the way the story goes is he placed it in a box or in a drawer or a closet or somewhere and forgot all about it. He's he hears that his daughter's been killed. He's upset and he's got this card. He never he just kind of tucked it away somewhere and then in his grief forgot all about it. All these years go by and he's he finds this letter and opens it up and the card is in Brittany's handwriting saying, I love you. Happy birthday. Sorry if this arrives late. Love Brittany. Very short, sweet message to his father whose birthday would have been September 14th. The card did arrive late, but what's remarkable about this. And when dad finds this card and gives it to Maggie, Remember, Maggie is the champion here in this story. She's the one that's going to find and get justice for her daughter. She sees this card, realizes it's her daughter's handwriting, saying that it's, you know, it's addressed from Brittany and everything. Her eyes about pop out of her head when she sees the envelope. The envelope, the white postage office stamp. So anybody that's used one of those Pitney Bowes, or the where you pay for a service or you buy a digitized stamp rather than put an actual stamp on it, mm-hmm. they'll be familiar with this. So this is a, a machine made the postage stamp. Well, it puts a date on those. And the reason why this is significant is the postal stamp is dated September 29th. And we don't have a date or time of death, but this is technically two days after it's believed that Brittany was killed and murdered. Mm-hmm. So the, the purchase of this stamp is September 29th. And then when it gets stamped again, going through the mail, it's, it's marked as September 29th. So it appears based off of that information that this letter was mailed two days after she was killed. Now, could it have gotten stuck on a conveyor belt? Maybe, but the problem with that part is this stamp was paid for. Somebody paid for this stamp on the 29th. So the conveyor belt thing doesn't hold a whole lot of water. What okay, so what, what, what this could indicate is did she did she give this card to somebody and say, Oh, by the way, oh friend, you're going to the post office tomorrow or later today. Could you take this for me? And they just didn't mm-hmm. get around to it for a couple of days. It's, it's hard to say because this information is coming out 2023 and she's killed in 20 in 2004. So 19 years later, maybe somebody just forgot, but the other thing it could point to remember what did the medical examiner say that he noticed when he, when he walked into the bedroom where she was killed and where the body was found? Somebody had taken the time to place towels over top of the victim. Mm-hmm. We know the psychology of that is some form of remorse, and typically that only happens when perpetrator knows the victim, cares for the victim. Would this person have cared enough to mail the letter? the card. Mm. It's all very strange. Well, and like you said, it could be also something very simple. Did she go to the post office and they stamped it and she put it in the box herself and then it got stuck on the side of the box. I mean, there's a drop box at our post office and, and I know things can get stuck or they kind of go down the wrong chute. 
and they fall out of whatever bag is supposed to collect them. I know it's happened to us many times when we're shipping out orders. So is it just something as simple as that? Uh, but very, very strange. You also have to wonder, is there any chance they got the time of death wrong? You know, we, well, they we're got not this, basing that on science. Well, they got this sample wrong. So, and somebody pointed out to me that, that, look, a lot of times these, you can purchase these, this postage at kiosk. And a lot of these kiosks are oftentimes located on college campuses. Right. I was told that pickup time for the, for the mail there was early afternoon. I don't know. It's, I, I can't really wrap my head around this whole idea, but it, it, it is very strange that we are told that she was killed late the 27th, early the 28th. And this, this postage is purchased the 29th. But now that we have the right sample, hopefully they can go back. They, they have the samples. I mean, they got 3000 samples to test against. So start taking, you know, some other leads that you got and other information you got from those interviews and, and start testing, you know, the people that were on top of your list to begin with. And then again, we can go back. If those tests don't match, we can go back through the genealogy route too. So I think this is like you said, I mean, I hate to get people's hopes up, but I think, well, this is just a matter of time before yeah. this individual is caught. And I would not be surprised if this person is a, is a, to come to find that they're a serial killer and they're actually responsible for, for multiple deaths. Yeah. And that goes back to what Maggie's suspicions were. And now that we know that they were chasing the wrong DNA for all that time, you could have a situation where yes, they, they have attacked and killed since if they hadn't before Brittany, maybe since Brittany as well. And I I'm with you, captain. I feel like this new evidence the proper evidence that they're now testing is going to lead to an arrest and a conviction. As we said already, Maggie was recently at crime con in Orlando in September of 2023 there to raise awareness for her daughter's case. That's where we met her and agreed to, I, I told Maggie to her face, we, we will be covering your daughter's case as, as soon as we can. And Look, she's becoming more and more frustrated as the 20th anniversary of her daughter's death approaches, and that will be later this year, unfortunately. We wanted to do as much as we could to help spread the word about this still unsolved case. And keep in mind, at the local level in Oklahoma, there's also still to this day a misconception that the case has been solved because, you know, it's blasted on the news at some point that they found a DNA match. Right. And thank God that they didn't name this individual because, I mean, even just being accused of something that heinous um, had to take a toll on that individual. And to expand on that profile a little bit, you know, once in a while I like to do a little garage profile. I think that there's some things that are probably pretty spot on with their profile, even as generic as it is, but they're generic for a reason. The most logical explanation to me, I think that the killer watch was watching her. Now 
for how long of was that? I don't know. But it also I've reviewed a lot of information that it seems to be that the the police believe that and they're not just pulling stuff out of thin air. That they they must have some reason to believe this that that it seems most likely to them that she did not know her killer. And they they seem to be hardcore on this theory that he was lying in wait of her. He was waiting for her either. I I don't know necessarily that that means that he was already in in the apartment, Mm -hmm. but she comes home. It's late at night. She's got to climb up those stairs all the way to that apartment. He could have ambushed her anywhere or pushed his way into an apartment. Let's not forget Richard Ramirez, the night stalker, two of his victims. One of them survived. Thank God. But two of his victims, he simply spotted the woman driving home and decided to follow her and watches her get out of her car. She goes into her house where she shares with a roommate and had not had enough time to close the garage door behind her. And he just simply went in after her. And I know of other cases as well where somebody follows somebody from a parking lot and pushes their way in, or somebody goes up to their apartment door, opens up the door and has items in their hands to put down, goes to put them down on the countertop, hasn't closed the door behind them and turns around and sees somebody standing in the doorway. Yeah. I think this, this person has some tie. There's some tie to this apartment complex to this individual. Either they lived there, they had worked there, uh, or did work there as some type of vendor, or this was a hunting ground for some kind of sexual predator, some kind of sex offender. As of November of 2023, so leading up to late last year, unfortunately, Tulsa had a horrifying backlog of untested rape kits. These, some of these dating back as far as the early 90s. From my understanding, Captain, late last year, November of 2023, the crime lab started testing these untested kits. So they started with a number of over 3,000 untested and now have tested close to 1,500 of those rape kits. So it will be very interesting to see whether the material, sorry, it will be very interesting to see if the new DNA, the correct DNA that they are using in Brittany's case, if it could match any of those kits as they keep testing them. And if anybody has any information, do we have a way that, I mean, first of all, you should call law enforcement, but is there another place that they could reach out to? We have a, we have a few different ways for you to submit a tip in this case. And I do want to point out Maggie, her mother says, look, there's no tip that is too small. There is no silly tips. So don't think that you're, you're being silly. Don't be embarrassed. If you think you have any information at all, they want to hear from you. There's a homicide tip line, 918-798-8477. Or you can email homicide at cityoftulsa.org. There's a Crime Stoppers number if you want to be anonymous, 
COPS, C-O-P-S. Again, no tip is too small. If you have information, please reach out to Tulsa PD using any of those methods. You could be anywhere in the world, but you're here, so that makes you our friend. It also means you probably need therapy. But we want to thank you so much for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful, beautiful listeners? We do. This is going to be more of a recommended reading for those that want to do a deep dive or follow up on this case I'm recommending that everybody go to BrittanyPhillipsMurder.net. Her family and all the people that are advocating for her and for her family and her mother put together an amazing website that is devoted to getting this case solved. And it's filled with information about this case. And it's it's rare. You know, you and I, we've covered so many cases here, Captain, but it's rare to see this type of website devoted to to a case. So I recommend that everybody go and check it out. Again, that's brittanyphillipsmurder.net and see how you can get involved, see if you can help. And I I I feel very good about this case because I think after all these years that we might have a little light at the end of the tunnel here and I think we're getting closer to that light. So I hope all of you join us by going to this website and check it out. You can find that recommendation and many more on our recommended page on our website, truecrimegarage.com. And if you'd like to hang out with us live, we're going to be at CrimeCon UK and CrimeCon USA. CrimeCon USA is going to take place in Nashville, and CrimeCon UK will be happening in London. And if you want to save some money and you haven't got your tickets yet, use our promo code. It works for both events, UK and Nashville. And that promo code is TCG. Thanks for joining us here in the garage. Until next week. Be good, be kind, and don't you litter.